Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. We are uh, in a series this week, this month, um, actually this whole summer, um, talking about rest and renewal. And the fact that, um, that all of our hearts are on a search. We're on a continuous search for meaning, uh, for purpose in our lives, uh, for fulfillment. And at whatever age you are at, or whatever you place in life you are at, you are a part of this search. If you were a student, it might be in search of good grades. Get that GPA up. That's what your parents expect out of you. It might be, it might be sports. You just you love sports, and that's, that's the thing that you give yourself to. It might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You know, when you're a student, that's one of the things, that's some of the things it might be. When you get older, you get to become a young adult, then it becomes about um, schooling. A lot of times about schooling and getting that degree and maybe, maybe a, a larger graduate degree. Uh, it might be starting out in a new career and just establishing yourself in this new career. It might be about marriage. And then later on in life, it becomes buying a house and, and getting those two cars, you know, and, and all the toys that come with it. Or, or maybe expanding a business. Um, having kids, having grandkids. It's all these things. We're always looking for something to give our life meaning and purpose. And throughout your life, that focus changes. It becomes something different all the time. But the thing that doesn't change, the thing that never changes is whatever you focus on, whatever you value, wherever you set your heart's affection, that will become the driving force of your life. And that, in essence, will be what you worship. Whatever it is, it will become the object of your worship. So it's vitally important that you choose well what you will worship because that will determine your life. What you worship is what you will eventually become. And you might choose what is good. In fact, all the things that we talked about, those are good things, but they're not the best. They're important things. Yeah, getting a job, getting a career, getting a family, all this. There's important things, but they're not the most important. And the thing is, when you spend your life pursuing all of that stuff that eventually disappoints, that eventually leaves you unfulfilled, which eventually comes to reality and it's not what you thought it was going to be, in all of your pursuit, it leaves you not only um, disappointed, but it leaves you stressed, it leaves you exhausted. Because you're constantly running after something. St. Augustine, a couple of centuries ago, wrote this. Lord, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. We are constantly on this search. And what Scripture tells us, what the Bible tells us, there's only one that is worthy of our worship. There's only one thing that is of that supreme value. And what happens is when you realize that, you become renewed, you become restored. It revitalizes, it changes the whole direction of your life. And that's why worship is so important. And so we talked about rest and renewal in the context of worship. And we started, we're looking through the Psalms, Psalm 23. What comes, that rest that comes when you realize the Lord is my shepherd. And he will care for me. And then reordering our priorities. As we begin to worship, we begin to see what's important, what's less important, what's subordinate to that. And we reorder our priorities. Last week we talked about the reinforcement that comes when we praise, when we give praise to God. It helps us keep those things in perspective. This morning I'm going to talk about something that's a little bit tougher. It's called surrender. 
which none of us wants to do. None of us wants to do it. Psalm 131. David wrote this. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. What David is doing is he's bringing his heart focus back where it belongs. He's surrendering. He's surrendering. And true rest and true renewal in my life happens when I learn to let go. And there's two very, very important uh, distinctions you got to be able to make in your life if you're going to be able to let go. And the first one is this. You need to recognize the difference between what is God's job and what is my own. Because most of our problems in life come when that distinction gets a little bit fuzzy. When we kind of blur the lines between what's God's job and what's mine. David put it this way. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. He says it's a choice. I've made a choice about what's my responsibility and what's not. And I'm not going to be proud. I'm not haughty about that. Literally, it's a disposition of the heart. Literally, it means it has to do with being high, setting myself up on the pedestal, putting myself in a place where I don't belong. He says I've decided not to do that. Decide not to do that. Or concern myself with things too wonderful for me. That word literally means to walk in. To concern myself with is to walk in. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm not going to cross the line. I'm not going to step where I don't belong. And it's an attitude of his heart. Now, if you don't settle that issue, if you don't settle that issue, it will be a constant source of stress in your life and frustration in your life. Because you will always be trying to control things that are beyond your control. You will always be trying to get that person to like me when they don't like you. And you can't make them do it. You know, you can't, you can't make that girlfriend be your girlfriend. She's got to make that decision. He's got to make that decision. You can't make her be your wife. You can't make him be your husband. You can't make those things are out of your control. You can do your part. But there's some parts that are just out of your control. I do a lot of counseling, premarital and marital counseling, relationship counseling. And usually, in most counseling situations, the biggest issue is who's in control. Because the biggest problem that most people have is they are trying to take control of things they have no control over. And I have found the biggest thing I can do is help people say, okay, what can you do about that? Well, I can't do anything about that. Then why are you trying? (laughs) You know, don't try to control what you can't control because you will just be frustrated. You've got to be able to make a distinction. There are certain things you can do, but there's a lot of things you can't do. You can't change that other person's heart, but you can change yours. And that big distinction is so important because so many relationship problems come when I try to change the other person. I try to control the other person. Not too long ago, I had someone coming in. We were in a counseling situation. He was talking about... Um, someone in our church, there's also in our church, and they're, they're having this relationship issue. And it's been really, really difficult. And, and from this person's perspective, the other person is just doing everything wrong. And they come to me and they say, if you would just talk to her, if you would just talk to him. You know, if, if you, and I said, I can't control that. 
And you can't control that. You can't control him. You can't control You can only control yourself. But you're the pastor. If you talk to him, then they would change. I said, if people did everything I ever told them to do, this would be a perfect church. I don't have that control. You give me way too much power. I am not God. We get so frustrated when we try to control other people. We can try to control outcomes. We try to control things that are beyond our control. And that leads to frustration and it leads to worry. In fact, a good definition of worry is simply trying to control something I've got no control over. I can't do anything about it, so what do I do? I worry. (laughs) At least I feel like I'm doing something. Make the distinction between what is God's job and what is my own. God is much, much better at his job than you are. And he doesn't really need your help. In fact, you're kind of getting in the way. Back when I was doing construction, uh, every once in a while, as you're doing a job, you know, there's always questions that come up because there's some things you just don't know until you get into the job. So you've got to bring the, the architect out and want to know what he thinks about it. And, and there's one particular job we're having this problem because the plumbing, because of the way the, the place was constructed, the plumbing couldn't go the where it needed to go. And so we had this big meeting. The plumber was there, and, and um, the plumbing contractor was there, and the architect was there, and I was there. And we're all talking about this. Well, how are we going to solve this problem? Because it's not going to go there. And the plumber, he says, well, he said, well here, here you know, we'll just run it here. We'll come around the side. We'll paint it out, and it'll be beautiful. And the architect stopped and looked at him. He said, that's why you're the plumber, and I'm the architect. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. But that's the truth. That's the truth. I need to know what is God's job and what is mine. God says, Isaiah 55, 9, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That word higher is the very same word that's used in the verse from, from Psalm 131 about not concerning myself with things too high for me. It's the same word. What God is saying is, no, there are some things that you will never understand. And you don't need to, because you don't think like I think. You don't do things the way I do them. I know how to do this stuff, okay? I do it better than you. So trust me. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a human heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevails. Eugene Peterson wrote this. Our lives are lived well only when they are lived on the terms of their creator, with God loving and us being loved, with God making us and us being made, with God revealing and us understanding, with God commanding and us responding, accepting the terms of creation, accepting God as our maker and redeemer and growing day by day into an increasingly glorious creature in Christ. It is God's job to be God and it is our job to let him. And most of our frustration in life, most of our worry, most of our difficulties in life, most of the stress of our life comes when we try to do things that are beyond our control. Now, when I talk about surrender, please don't misunderstand. This is not, this is not about abdicating responsibility. Okay? This is not about avoiding any accountability for my own life. Well, I'll just trust God and he'll send me a job, you know. I'll stay home, watch some TV today, and God will send me a job. You know, I trust him. 
No, it doesn't work that way. You do have a part to play in this. You take responsibility for your You take responsibility for your own grades. You take responsibility for your job. You take responsibility for your finances. You take your responsibility. But you also realize there are parts of that that are beyond your control. So you do your job and let God do his. See, surrender is just simply saying yes to God. Moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance, struggle with struggle. It is just saying, okay, God, we'll do it your way. Okay, God, this is out of my control. I'm going to have to trust you. Now, people who have learned that in a very practical way are people who are in recovery. Because when you are in recovery, one of the first things you've got to realize is I have a problem and it is out of my control. And I need someone greater than me to change me, to help me, to empower me. Because I cannot do this by my own willpower. And nobody gets through recovery without that first recognition. You will never overcome your addiction. You will never overcome your problem until you come to the point where you realize, I cannot control this. I have been trying for I don't know how many years, but obviously I'm not doing a good job at this. I've got to surrender control. Now, we have a 12-step group, Christians Christians in Recovery, um, that meets here on Monday nights. And one of the members of that group is Ed Cardwell. And I asked Ed if he would just share a little bit this morning about his process of learning how to surrender and how to let go. Ed, would you welcome him, please, as he comes? My name's Ed, and I'm in recovery. (laughs) <laughs> All the people in recovery know that. Um, you know, um, I grew up in a family, and my mom and dad, they, they all uh, drank really hard. And um, we didn't go to church. Um, and so when I got a little older, you know, I thought having fun was drinking. And um, my mom and dad divorced at 12, and I took responsibility for that. And um, I ended up uh, acting out. And... Uh, I got put in um, juvenile hall for being incorrigible, and I didn't even know what incorrigible was. Um, my dad came back and took me out, and I went and lived with him in San Mateo. And um, a couple of years later, uh, I just did what high school kids do. I went out and smoked and drank and cussed and gambled and did whatever, whatever I wanted, because that's what I thought we were supposed to do. And um, as, I, as I got into... Um, uh, later age, all of a sudden, the drinking thing started getting me. Um, my dad said I had a problem, and I, I tried to work on it a little bit. And then I joined the Navy. He got married. I joined the Navy. He, I didn't want to be in a blended family. And so um, in the Navy, they thought I had a problem, but I didn't. And I got out of the Navy, and the judge thought I had a problem, but I didn't. And it wasn't until um, I surrendered. I admitted that I had this problem. I admitted that I had, once I took one, I had my drinking thing was broke. Everybody else could cool it, but I couldn't. I couldn't stop. And um, as I got into um, recovery, I had like 18 months, and I really was doing good, and I felt great. And all of a sudden, my mind just said, you know, you've been doing good. Why don't you try it again? And... Um, Without God, recovery doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
with God. You know, today, um, I can tell you that King Jesus can whip King Alcohol every single day. And I can tell you that because, you know, one day at a time, 8,212 days ago, is the last time that I had to partake in doing that. Um, and the reason, the reason I'm up here is because I wanted to just tell you what worked for me. And what worked for me is when I took a knee in the morning by myself in my own office, quiet, and I asked God one day at a time, you take this problem. You have it. It's yours today. And when I surrendered, I surrendered. And that's the thing was hard for me because being in the military it was death before dishonor. And learning how to surrender, I learned something that was really important, and that was that I needed to stop fighting. And I needed to start forgiving. I learned that I could surrender my brokenness for his blessings. I learned that surrendering misery for mercy, guilt for grace, surrendering punishment for pardon, surrendering my sins for the promise of salvation, surrendering my crimes for his cross. Surrender in my grave for a gift of eternal life. Surrender means to me putting your life in God's hands. Thank you. Thank you, Ed, for sharing your story. Every one of us have things that we struggle with. And it may not be alcohol. It may not be drugs. It may not be... But every one of us has something that we struggle with. And you will never overcome that struggle until you surrender. And we think that surrender is weakness, but it's not. It really is strength. Letting go and putting the things that are out of my control in God's hands and leaving them there is the strongest thing you can possibly do. Look at Colossians 1.16. Everything was created by him and for him. Before anything was created, he was already there. He holds everything together. How much does he hold together? Everything. What things? Everything. He's the one who holds it all together. So here's the deal. The question to ask yourself in any moment, in any circumstance, in any struggle is, what can I do about this? And that's your job. And then the second question is, what can I not do about this? What is beyond my control? And that's God's part. And if you can just make the distinction between what is God's work and what is my work, it will alleviate a great deal of stress and pain in your life. What can I do? I do my part. But there's some things that are beyond my control, and that is God's work. And I've got to trust Him. The second most important Realization And really, these two will pretty much do it for you. The first is recognizing the difference between God's work and mine. And the second is to recognize the difference between what is care and what is indulgence. Because there's a difference between the two. 
David goes on, he says, But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now God, make no mistake, God does love and God does care about you. Okay, He really does. But he will not coddle you. He will not cater to your every whim. There's a very important, he says, it, like a weaned child. Now, I got some help this, this, uh, this week uh, from some of our staff, some of the ladies on our staff, some of the mothers on our staff. And we were talking about this in our staff meeting. He said, well, you know what the difference is? When your child is still nursing, every time you pick them up, they think it's feeding time. <laughs> and, and they thrash about and they squirm and they cry and they do all these things because they think if you're holding them, you've got to be feeding them because that's what you do when you hold them. And the weaning process helps them learn that you can hold them just because you love them and it's not about what they get out of you. See, he says, it's like a weaned child. In fact, the Jerusalem Bible got got it great. It says, enough for me to keep my soul tranquil and quiet like a child in its mother's arms. Literally, that's what it says. As content as a child that has been weaned. That I learn what is God's care And what is indulgence that I'm asking of him or demanding of him? Um, When our kids were little, uh, one of my aunts, my Auntie Murr, who is now a great aunt because all all of us grew up and we had kids, okay? So now she's a great aunt. She's a grandmother, okay? And there was one thing. Auntie Murr always had gum. Auntie Murr always had candy. And, and so, you know, we would come to a gathering and all the kids would run to Auntie Murr because Auntie Murr always had gum and Auntie Murr always had candy. And so she, she began to realize all these kids were just coming for the gum and the candy. So she made them do this. She said, okay, from now on, if you want gum and candy for me, that's fine. But first you come to me and you say, I love you, Auntie Murr. <laughs> then you can ask for the gum and candy. So that's what they did. I love you, Auntie Murr. Can I have some gum and candy? <laughs> It's not quite the effect she was going for. But that's what we are with God sometimes. I love you, God. Now, could you give me this? Oh, I love you, Lord. Would you give me that? Could we just love him for who he is? You see, in his goodness, God has made many promises in Scripture. Many promises. We're told over and over how he loves us and cares for us. Um, Psalm 103, 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He loves you. He cares about you. He's made all kinds of promises in his word. He has compassion toward you. But don't take his promises and make it your list of demands. That's not how it works. Came across a book. I haven't even read the book, but I'm intrigued by the title. It's a, it's a, um, it's a book about um, raising today's teenagers. And the title of the book is, Get Out of My Life, But First Could You Drive Me and Cheryl to the Mall? <laughs> and I thought, that describes us so well. God, get out of my life. I got everything under control. Oh, wait, wait, could you help me with this? God, don't bother me. I got this under control. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. could you help me with that? God, would you, could you, would you, how'd you, how'd you would, would. how about, Lord, I love you. And I just love being with you. See, that's what worship does. Yes, we thank him for what he has done, but we bring this shift off of ourself and what he gives me, and I give it to him simply for who he is. Now, when I recognize who he is, 
it's a crazy thing because when I recognize who he is and how much he loves me and how much he cares for me, he actually gives me what I need and provides for what I need. But it's not my list of demands anymore. Now it comes as a gift from my heavenly father. I used to do a lot of traveling. Um, and, and, and every time I would travel, I'd try to bring a toy back for my kids. You know, bring something back because I'd been gone, you know, for a weekend or something. And so I would always bring a book back or, you know, a little toy or something like that. And it got to the point where I would come home and says, Daddy, Daddy, what did you bring me? <laughs> See, there's a difference between loving somebody and loving the things that somebody has. And worship changes the perspective. In worship, I learn to love who God is, not just what he gives. Now, the weaning process is not easy. Any mother here will tell you, it is not easy to wean a child. Because they expect, and they don't know. You can't tell them. They're too young. They, they don't understand. They have no understanding whatsoever. But you are trying to wean them off of, off of mother's milk onto something more substantial because he can't live. He can't continue to grow just on mother's milk. You need other nutrients. You need other things. And so the weaning process, though the child does not understand it, has to be weaned off of mother's milk to something more substantial eventually. And the thing about it is the child doesn't understand this. And so they begin to think, mom doesn't love me anymore in their little infantile brains. <laughs> Because she's not giving me what I'm needing, what I'm crying for, what I think I got to have. She's holding me, but she's not giving me. She must not love me anymore. Now, I don't know if that's specifically what they think, because I can't remember back that far, okay? (laughs) But I know there is this problem of misunderstanding, and I know it happens in believers, too. Because very often... Someone first comes to a faith in Christ. They become a new believer. And it just seems like every prayer gets answered. It just seems like they just turn to God and he fills them and provides for them. And it just, it just seems like, God, God, man, I can, and, 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 but eventually, eventually the excitement wears off. Eventually not every prayer gets answered the way they want it. And then there becomes this misunderstanding. What did I do wrong? How come God doesn't listen to my prayer? How come he doesn't answer my prayers like he used to do? Because he's weaning you. Because he's weaning you. And you might be at a point in your life where there's something you've been praying about, praying about, praying about, praying about. And you say, why doesn't God answer me? Because he's weaning you. He's got some. And here's the deal. You have got to believe in God's goodness. You have got to believe that what he has for you is better than what you are asking for. Because if you don't believe that, you will constantly be misunderstanding what he's doing in your life. And sometimes he delays and sometimes he denies because he's got something better and it's going to take longer to get there. But as you mature and as you grow, you begin to understand that's what he's doing. He's trying to grow me up. He's trying to teach me what faith is really about. It's not getting my list of demands met. It's about trusting in the one who has promised to provide. And ultimately, that's where he wants us to get. From childish demanding to childlike trust. Not clinging to him out of fear or insecurity, but simply coming to him freely in faith, in love, in trust, 
And I don't understand this, God. But I trust you. This doesn't make sense to me, Lord, but, but I trust you. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Paul wrote, As dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It's trust. Trusting that God loves me. That he really has my best interests at heart. And when I worship, that's the perspective that I begin to get. And it's really, really interesting in the psalm. Because this is like the shortest, one of the shortest psalms in, in, in the whole book. It's only three, three phrases. And they are intensely personal. The first two are just very intimate, very personal. This whole idea of a weaning child and all that thing. But then he comes to the last verse and he says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. And what he's doing is, this is what I have learned. This is what I have discovered about God. Now I want everybody to get in on it. And so he takes that personal, private lesson that he has learned from God, and he says to all of Israel, put your hope in him. He is trustworthy now and forevermore. And now it's our turn. My turn. Your turn. Can you trust when you don't understand? Can you love the Father without having to love the Father's things? Can you rest in a relationship that doesn't have to be gimme, gimme, gimme. Because that's the real question. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.